Well, good morning, everyone. Let me add my welcome to uh, Sarah and to John's. If you've not met, my name is Neil, and I'm the associate here at Christchurch. This morning, we continue in week two of our new sermon series, Jesus, Good News for All. A series where, as John said last week, we'll be on an adventure through Luke's gospel. And today, we're going to skim over most of chapters one and two of Luke's biography, his biographical account of Jesus' life, helping us to plot how the coming of Jesus was good news for those first characters we meet, and hopefully seeing how Jesus is good news for us too here in Surbiton, and in fact, Jesus is good news for all people, in all places, in all times. Uh, Please bow your heads to pray. Uh, Loving, gracious, heavenly Father, we thank you for your every good gift and blessing to us. We thank you for this, your gift of your words. Uh, And by the gift of your spirit, living in and dwelling amongst us, uh, we pray that you would uh, inspire our hearts and come, uh, help us to come to know your son, our Lord and Savior, just the more deeply uh, and to be those who go and share his good news with the world. Amen. I remember watching uh, a movie years, years ago. the movie opened with the main character, it's Kate Winslet, and she was, wasn't Titanic, she was running uh, down an American highway, uh, full pelt, carrying a videotape in her hand. And I turned to my friend, who I was watching the movie with, and I said to them, I bet this tape has crucial evidence that's going to come up later in the film. Now, as the movie came to its climax, sure enough, this tape had some crucial evidence on it. And now, before you get across to me, I'm not normally the kind of person who, who gives away plot lines before a movie started. But it's quite fun when you guess how something, a book or a story or a movie, is going to end, what the plot's doing. And good stories do this, don't they? They're carefully crafted to drop important facts and details and hints progressively to build up throughout the story, to give a big climax later on. Do I need to move this a bit, or is this all right? The back. Keep going. Uh, And that's the fun of revisiting a story, that we can see those details all the more clearly on repeat watching or reading. And J.K. Rowling is just a master of this, isn't she, in in her Harry Potter series? But the thing about most of our Gospels is they tell us what the main story is almost from the first verse. So, for example, uh, if we looked at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham. Or if we looked at Mark's Gospel, it says this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the son of God. Crystal clear, isn't it? Uh, John uh, uses other language, but similar stuff. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And just to make it really clear, he then says in verse 14, the Word, this, this Word, became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, this Word, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. But Luke's gospel is a bit different. Uh, do turn up uh, Luke chapter 1 in your Bibles, if you have them open in front of you. Uh, Luke doesn't by, start by telling us the main character is in the first line. No, Luke allows his gospel to build a bit more slowly. There's more drama and suspense in it. Starting not with the birth of Jesus, as we expect, but with the birth of John the Baptist, Jesus' slightly older cousin. 
You see, each of the gospel writers uh, seem to have a different intention behind why they're writing it, and that gives them each a different flavor. Luke is more of an investigator. If you like detective novels, I like historical uh, detective novels, Luke is a good gospel to read. He shapes his gospel with lots of facts and different evidences which helps us, his intended audience, uh, to chapter 1, verse 4, know the certainty of the things that we have been taught. And we get to, to read those same evidences nearly 2,000 years after they were first written, so that we can know for certain that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God. This is the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. And it's good news for everyone, good news uh, for all. And as we keep on seeing, as we look together at these evidences which Luke is carefully investigating, this is good news for us. So how do we see this good news rolling out in Luke's gospel? Well, look down with me again at the the first chapter. Um, Helpfully, we've got some headings in our Bible that summarize what's going on a bit. But uh, we first find the good news coming to Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Now, there's a lot of backstory here, uh, and you can find it out by reading uh, Luke's gospel in detail yourselves when you go home today. But the main thing for us to know right now is that they were both very old and childless. Luke's really clear about that, verse 7. So old, in fact, that the idea of naturally producing children was out of the question. And even if age wasn't an issue, Elizabeth's own body sadly couldn't carry a child. That seems a very blunt statement, doesn't it? And we might read that and move on. We often do. But just sit with that for a moment. The pain of childlessness. Some of you sitting here today, I know, know what this pain feels like. The hopeless longing for something that may never come and maybe it's too late. They did long for a baby and they longed and they prayed, so the angel tells us, for a child. But now they were too old and their prayers were never answered. For those who know the heartbreak and the pain of childlessness, know that God hears your prayers, that God knows every tear you have cried. You have many sisters in the Bible and in the family of God who share your pain and feel your agony. You are not voiceless and you are not unloved by God. Your difficulties are not a curse, but a result of this broken world, just as much as the war raging Ukraine right now is a result of this broken world. God hears your prayers. And one day Jesus has promised to wipe every tear from your eyes with his nail-pierced hands. And although it's not a consolation, I pray that within the family of this church, you will find brothers and sisters who weep with you. Mothers and fathers who will hold your hands. And perhaps, if you would like, 
children who you can love and who will love you in return. This is good news for all. And for those who struggle with childlessness, this is good news for you. It is to this very old, childless couple whom God first brings his good news. As the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah that his wife would soon carry his son in her womb. And that this son, John, would be used by God to do wonderful things. Imagine the overwhelming joy Elizabeth felt when she first heard and felt the baby kicking in her womb. She sings, the Lord has done this for me. He has shown his favor in verse 25. Six months later, that same angel appears to Elizabeth's cousin, Mary, to bring her good news from verse 26 onwards. That she too would become pregnant. But whereas God worked in Elizabeth's womb for her to carry Zechariah's son, Mary's baby would not have a biological human father, but God himself would be this child's father, produced by the power of God's holy and life-giving spirit. We don't have time to, to dwell on this here, but Mary and her husband, Joseph, would face great difficulty and shame for accepting this baby as their own, especially with Mary becoming pregnant before they were officially married. And you can read about that in Matthew's Gospel. But to this young girl, early teens maybe, Mary, the shame and rejection of her community paled in significance to the joy that this child would bring her and eventually the whole world. This is good news for all. And for those who have struggled with shame and rejection in their community, this is good news for you. So Mary hurries to meet her cousin Elizabeth, and when the baby is six months old in Elizabeth's womb, that baby hears Mary's voice and begins to leap for joy inside of her, verse 41 and 44. And now, filled with the Holy Spirit, Mary shouts out a short song, verse 42. Sorry, Elizabeth, verse 42. And a bit like a musical, Mary's response to Elizabeth is a song in reply. A beautiful song we often call the Magnificat. A song that speaks of God's goodness and mercy, not just to Mary, but to all who are hungry and all who are humble as children of God. A song of good news. This good news is good news for all and to those who are humble and hungry, this is good news for you. And the good news keeps rolling out in Luke's gospel as Elizabeth gives birth to their son John and their neighbours and relatives share in their joy, verse 58. And once again at the initiation of God's Holy Spirit, now it's Zechariah's turn to sing. It's like in Canto, isn't it? Everyone's singing. A song of hope and salvation, a song of praise, a song of blessing and prophecy over his new son. A song of good news that is being heard by all those around him in the temple courts as his son is being circumcised. And the good news keeps rolling out in chapter 2 as Jesus is born. And an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds to bring them good news that will cause great joy to all people. Chapter 2 verse 10. 
And now it's the angels' turn to sing, as they sing praise to God. And after the shepherds visit Jesus, the Savior of the world, they head off and they tell others this good news too. I don't know if you've heard about shepherds in sermons in the past, but these shepherds were not, uh, sorry, were the uneducated outlier society, but they weren't despised. They were more simply ignored just by nature of their job. They lived scattered lives out in the hills away from the people looking after sheep. They weren't the nobility and they weren't the elites. And yet the angels choose to bring the good news of the Messiah, Jesus, to these lowly shepherds first. As an aside, isn't it poetically beautiful how King David was a shepherd? And how God himself is referred to as being a shepherd throughout the Bible, but especially in Psalm 23. And how Jesus himself would call himself the great shepherd. Doesn't it feel fitting that the first people to hear of the arrival of the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus, would be shepherds themselves? That's, that's just a thought I've been musing on, but I'm, I'm struck by that. This is good news for all And to those who feel on the margins or who struggle to find your place in this church, in this town, in your work, in this world, this is good news for you. Now, I just want to pause here for a brief moment, for a slight segue, um, but about a little detail that I love in Luke's gospel. Uh, Last week, John spoke about how Luke had collected together his material. And even Luke himself says that he has carefully investigated everything and tried to to certify the accounts shared by the eyewitnesses. And Luke's gospel is full of little details and anecdotes that sound like they come from witnesses. You'll notice that as you read it. Have you ever stopped to wonder who these witnesses might have been? And how we can trust the reliability of their testimonies? Just look at one of these statements that Luke writes, and that's in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Here Luke writes this, But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's almost a throwaway comment, isn't it? But have you noticed that Luke is sharing Mary's internal dialogue and thoughts here? He does it again in our own reading. And when you notice that, do you ever find yourself wondering, how did Luke hear this? Luke gathered this information from interviews with various witnesses. Which witnesses? Well, I want to be clear here. I am now slightly venturing beyond the boundaries of what the Bible actually says. I'm saying that up front. These are only my musings, and I may be wrong, but I would be really happy to bet when I meet uh, Luke in heaven asking this question, that he would say he heard this directly from Jesus' own family. You see, in Acts 21, Luke writes about Paul. Luke was on a journey with Paul. Luke writes about Paul's visit to the Jerusalem Council, a visit which Luke joined him on. And there in uh, Acts uh, chapter 21, verse 17 and 18, Luke writes this. When we, including Luke, arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us, including Luke, went to see James. And all the elders were present. You see, Luke was there, and Luke actually met with James, Jesus' earthly half-brother, a son of Mary. I don't think it's far-fetched to think that it was James who shared some of these stories directly with Luke during their time together. 
That would be like you or I visiting uh, Spider-Man Tom Holland's mum, who lives somewhere in Kingston, and asking her to share stories about her son. Like I said, that is an aside, and I have no direct evidence for it. But I don't think it's beyond the world's possibility as we wonder, where did the facts come from in Luke's gospel? So back to our section in Luke 2. The next people to receive the good news are those in the temple at Jerusalem where Mary and Joseph bring their baby Jesus for the purification rites in 2.22. Here we meet Simeon, a man who lived his life in keeping with God's good commands and who was waiting for God to bring about his saving plans. Simeon is again moved by the Holy Spirit to visit Jesus and once again bursts into song. Songs of praise to God, songs of hope and salvation, now this time reaching beyond the Jewish nation to the Gentiles, that's to all people. This is good news for all and to those who try to live their lives to honour and to the praise of God, this is good news for you. And finally, Anna, a prophetess who was tragically widowed young from verse 36 onwards. Anna made a home for herself in the temple and gave her life night and day to worshipping her God, to fasting and to prayer. And now, upon seeing the face of her Saviour, she joins in on the praise to God for the hope of salvation he is bringing through this child, Jesus. This is good news for all and to those who have suffered loss and bereavement. For those who find this life unfair and cruel, this is good news for you. So in these two chapters, we've been tracking the movement of God by his Holy Spirit as he gradually begins to roll out this good news. Good news of hope and salvation. Good news that someone was coming into the world who would be a light into the darkness, who would be the fulfillment of God's ancient promises, who would make a way for the whole world to be reconciled with God himself. This is good news, and it's found only in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. This is good news for all. And it's good news for each and every one of us in this building, in this town, in this country, in this world. The gospel of Jesus truly is good news for all. With all that overview done, let's just very briefly focus in on our reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 onwards. I'm sure this is a very familiar story to most of us here, and I'm sure we've likely heard different stories on earth, sermons on it in the past. I just want to summarize this little section very briefly by saying a few words on this. If I was to give the the main theme of it, I'd say Jesus is the only son of the Father. That's it. Jesus is the only son of the Father. And that's the point that Luke is going to to hammer home again and again in this gospel. In a nutshell, 12-year-old Jesus has traveled to Jerusalem with his parents, Mary and Joseph, for the Passover festival. Uh, when their caravan of fellow townsfolk from Nazareth head back home, Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem, where his anxious mother and father find him three days later. When she finally finds her son, she scolds him in verse 48. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And here, we hear the very first recorded words of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ in verse 49. 
Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? No one else in the whole of scripture, no one else in any other writings of the period ever refer to God in this way, my father. Most would say our father, or they'd add in heaven, but no one speaks about God like this anywhere. For some reason, the first words that God has chosen to be recorded about his son, Jesus Christ, are words of Jesus claiming for himself a unique relationship with God that is deeper and more intimate than what anyone else has ever known. Jesus is the only son of the Father. You know, saying like father, like son, well, that couldn't be more true in this case. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Or as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God thinks, if you want to meet God, you absolutely can. Just look at Jesus. God has only one Son, His perfect and obedient Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of the nations, the Savior of the world, as we heard countless times already in these short two chapters. That's what everyone has been singing about, remember? But because Jesus really is the only Son of the Father, the perfect and obedient Son, anyone who believes this story we are hearing about in Luke's Gospel, Anyone who believes that he really is the saviour of the world. Anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how much or how little money you have, no matter how good your relationship is with your own family and friends, no matter how broken and rejected this world has made you feel, anyone can be called a child of God. And anyone can call God the Father, Jesus' Father. Anyone can call him Dad. When we repent, when we say no more to our sins, the, the things that God has said are harmful to us living our lives in his world, when we repent and we believe in Jesus, God, the mighty creator of this wonderful universe, adopts you as his child. And he makes you divine royalty. With all the blessings and inheritance a child of God will receive, blessings and joy beyond your wildest dreams. So much better than, than anything this world can offer you. And Jesus has promised, my favorite promise in all the scripture, Jesus has promised that nothing in this universe can remove you from his powerful universe creating hands that were pierced with nails to ensure that you will one day reach your true home. And all you have to do is repent and believe. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the only son of the Father. Now, if that isn't good news for all, I really don't know what is. I'd like to invite the band to come up. Um, I haven't really thought how I'd um, finish here, but I sense now that maybe, um, maybe something I've heard might be new for some of us or might be stirring something in us uh, 
or awakening something we hadn't had before. So I'm just going to lead us in a prayer, and, and maybe if uh, you feel something of that class of people, the rejected, the despised, the childless, the, the, the lowly, the lost, the righteous, and that maybe today you want to pray again for yourself, that you will recognize and know that this is good news, this is, that Jesus came for you, that he has rescued you, that he has saved you and washed you clean by the blood. And maybe you're hearing this for the first time. And maybe you're struggling with issues with fathers and, and backgrounds and histories of, of yourself or your own relationship with your children. And maybe some of this perfect father is touching your heart. I was going to pray for us. And I want to invite anyone who's, who's experiencing this, maybe to come to the prayer space if you'd like uh, as I finish the sermon. And we'd love to pray with you. But let me, let me pray now. Why don't we stand to pray before we lead in worship? Now, father God, we thank you for sending your son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, into this world. And we thank you, we thank you that Jesus is good news for all, that that all excludes no one. That no matter who we are, uh, no matter uh, what we've done, no matter how we've been harmed, and no matter how we have harmed others, that in your Son there is forgiveness and reconciliation with you, the creator God of this universe. Now, Father God, with open hearts, we we long to experience and know more of you, more of this good news that you offer us in ourselves, in our lives. So Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would warm our hearts and remind us again and again of your good news. That where there is hurt and brokenness, you will heal us by your spirit. Where we have made mistakes and fallen short, where we have harmed others or been harmed, that we would find good news in you. And Lord, today, if we are hearing this for the first time and your spirit is moving in us to, to want to know you as Father, I pray, Lord, you would make us brave and give us courage to cry to you, Abba, Father, to share that with someone maybe today and to be embraced in the loving arms of a perfect dad. God, you are wonderful and we love you. Amen. Amen.